Hello and welcome to the Decorum Talking Newspaper for the week ending Saturday 28th of October. This is Tom and your other readers are Jenny, Jane and we have Joe as relief reader tonight for Rod. The editor this week is Kevin and our technician is Jake. This week is Team 2. Most of our news items are taken from the Hemel Hempstead, Berkhamsted and Tring Gazette and Express newspaper. Before we get started, just a reminder, in case you don't always stay until the end of the recording, don't forget that the clocks change this weekend. At 2am on Sunday the 29th of October, the clocks go back one hour, so you get an extra one hour's sleep. This week's headline is Hertfordshire Council to consider major bus changes. These and other stories follow. Hello, this is Jenny. The main story this week making the headlines is Boost on the Buses. Hertfordshire County Council could submit a bid to government for county-wide bus franchise. So services, fares and timetables can come back into community control. And that's just one of the measures being considered in a bid to improve bus services in Hertfordshire. At a meeting on Tuesday last week, councillors agreed that increasing bus usage was vital to protect the environment, support the local economy and reduce road congestion. But they said frequent delays and cancellations in the county were a disincentive to use public transport. And they said the absence or unreliability of bus services could leave residents unable to get to work, hospital appointments, schools, colleges or to social activities. A successful bid to government for a county-wide bus franchise would give the authority more control over bus operations. And crucially, they would have the power to determine the bus routes that operators would bid to run, rather than commercial operators being able to drop routes that were not profitable. A feasibility study is already being worked on by officers at the County Council. And it is just one of the measures catalogued as necessary or planned in a motion that was unanimously backed by the full council. In addition, the motion pointed to the need for a county-wide bus user survey to understand the services that residents want and need. It points to the need to lobby government to lift the legal ban on municipal bus ownership so communities can establish their own municipal bus network. It also includes a commitment to work with operators to address the shortage of bus drivers and to improve real-time online data available to passengers about timetables, changes and cancellations. At the meeting, Labour County Councillor Baroness Sharon Taylor, who proposed the motion, highlighted the considerable difficulties being caused by unreliable, infrequent or non-existent services. She pointed to a 56% reduction in bus mileage in the county since 2017, although this figure was disputed and a Conservative amendment to the motion changed this to a 39% drop since 2016. And she suggested that passenger number would increase if the service was improved. Hello, this is Joan, and continuing the main story, Buses provide over two-thirds of public transport journeys in this country, said Baroness Taylor, who is the shadow sp spokesperson for transport in the House of Lords. 
and there is clear evidence to show that passenger numbers grow where services are of sufficient frequency and reliability to mean that passengers can turn up and go without consulting a timetable. This is common practice in London, but very unusual outside the capital, where sometimes the fact that a half-hourly bus has turned up at all can mean that it is subject to comments on social media. And she later added, the private sector have had over four decades to deliver the level of bus service we need to persuade people out of their cars and, sh and surely we can't just carry on with a vague expectation that eventually that will happen. Executive member for Highways and Transport, Councillor Phil Bibby, accepted that bus mileage had been steadily decreasing across the country, with operators struggling to sustain non-commercial routes. He said a key part of the council's strategy was to increase passenger numbers that had dropped due to COVID and, and more working from home. He said they were already driving forward with measures that included supporting advertising campaigns for driver vacancies, the expansion of real-time bus information and bus priority measures that were being discussed with district and borough councils. Liberal Democrat councillor Stephen Giles Medhurst said that what was needed was a reliable and frequent bus service, suggesting they were a lifeline for many residents across the, the country, in rural areas and even in some urban areas. During the debate, Conservative leader of the council, Councillor Richard Roberts, also highlighted the idea of a county-wide bus franchise. He said, I think franchising a bus service would be welcome in Hertfordshire. And that is one of the opportunities that might arise through devolution. And I think we would welcome that. Hello, this is Jane. Hemel Hempstead MP has slammed the government's approval of a major expansion of Luton Airport. Sir Mike Penning has claimed that the additional flights going to and from Bedfordshire will have a greater impact on the lives of residents in Hertfordshire. The government accepted proposals which were previously agreed between the airport company and Luton Borough Council last Monday, October the 16th. It is et estimated <clears throat> that Luton Airport will have capacity for an extra 1 million passengers a year taking its capacity to 19 million. Luton Borough Council approved the project in 2021, but it was called in, in to be reviewed by the Secretary of State for Leveling Up, Housing and Communities and the Secretary of State for Transport. Both senior government officials approved the scheme this week. Speaking in Parliament, Sir Mike said, while I welcome the fact that the decision was called in by the Secretary of State rather than let the airport owners, Luton Borough Council, run roughshod over the process, I'm very disappointed with the result. The increased noise and pollution will affect the people of Hertfordshire and not the people of Luton who get all the financial benefits. The decision to allow increased number of flights was fundamentally opposed by me and other local MPs and residents and it will be a very sad day when it goes ahead. 
Luton Council, when agreeing to the scheme, stated it would bring much-needed socio-economic benefits to the town and the region. Separate to this agreement are bigger ambitions to increase the site to a capacity which could sustain 32 million passengers. Luton Rising has lodged a separate bid which could see the 32 million customers visit the site each year by the 2040s. Extra flights taking off from the major airport in Bedfordshire concern Hemel's MP as planes making their descent or ascent often fly over parts of Hertfordshire. Alberto Martin, Chief Executive of London Luton Airport said, We are delighted that the two Secretaries of State have reached their long-awaited decision which now ensures London Luton Airport is well positioned to secure its economic future and continue to deliver for our passengers and our local communities. Hemel Man among 20 arrested. A man from Hemel Hempstead was among the 20 people arrested during a large scale police operation targeting organised drug dealing. A 22-year-old was arrested on suspicion of possession of cannabis with intent to supply. Between Monday the 9th and Sunday the 15th of October, Hertfordshire Constabulary searched homes suspected of being used for county lines drug dealing. During the week, the Operation Mantis team, supported by Hertfordshire's operational support group and local crime units, obtained warrants to search homes believed to be used by gangs. Officers from the Eastern Region Special Operations Unit, ERSOU, and National Crime Agency, NCA, were also involved in the operations. The places searched by Hertfordshire Police were in Boreham Wood, Cheshunt, Hemel Hempstead, St Albans, Stevenage, Welling Garden City and Luton. Firefighters leaving to be train drivers. Hertfordshire firefighters are leaving the emergency service to drive trains, it has emerged. The County Council operates a network of fire stations across Hertfordshire, staffed by whole-time or on-call firefighters. But now it has emerged that a number of firefighters have been leaving for the railways. Data supplied to the Local Democracy Reporting Service shows that already this year there have been two firefighters who have left to work on trains. Last year, 2022, there were six and the previous year, 2021, there were a further six, totalling 14 firefighters in less than three years. More money and more days off are said to be among the factors tempting firefighters away from the county's emergency service. And the issue has been highlighted by the County Council's Executive Director of Community Protection and Chief Fire Officer, Alex Woodman. Speaking at a recent meeting of the County Council's overview and scrutiny, Mr Woodman told councillors the attraction and retention for fi of firefighters is an ever-increasing challenge for us. We are not seeing the level of interest that we would have seen perhaps five years ago. And we are seeing scenarios where we do lose trained professionals because they earn more money driving trains. And in a further statement, later issued by the County Council, Mr Woodman added, there are many different reasons why firefighters leave for other jobs. 
but with the recent increases in cost of living, we know that pay has become more of an issue. Most firefighters are dedicated to their career, but our firefighters are highly trained with a lot of transferable skills, so it's not a surprise that they can get good jobs elsewhere if they choose to. Firefighters are highly valued staff who play a vitally important role, and we're very aware of the risks posed of losing skilled staff to other sectors. It takes a lot of time, effort and money to recruit and train firefighters due to the skills and qualities needed. And we don't want to lose that skill and experience to other employers. We hope that this year's nationally agreed pay rise will help encourage more of our valued firefighters to remain with us. Mr Woodman raised the issue of firefighters leaving for the railways at a recent meeting of the County Council's Overview and Scrutiny Committee. Data later provided to the local democracy reporting service shows a breakdown of the 46 firefighters who have left the service to take up alternative employment since 2021. In 2021, it shows that of the 18 firefighters who left for an alternative employment, six went to work on the trains. In 2022, there were 19 firefighters who left for other employment, with six of those moving on to trains. New police recruits. A new community support police officer has begun patrolling decorum, Hertfordshire Constabulary has confirmed. There are one, they are one of six new recruits starting within the police force. Hertfordshire Constabulary says it is still on the lookout for more potential PCSOs after formally welcoming in half a dozen officers last week. The new recruits have completed their initial training programme and will now be heading into Hertfordshire neighbourhoods. This role is designed to reassure the public as PCSOs are employed to prevent antisocial behaviour and fight crime within local estates. Among the latest cohort are a former retail assistant, an estate agent photographer, a TfL enforcement officer and a hospitality worker. They were given roles at a special ceremony at police headquarters in Welling Garden City on Monday, October the 9th. As well as the decorum officer, two will be based in Chesant, one in Hartsmere, one in Letchworth and one in Rickmansworth. Assistant Chief Constable Gina Telfer wished the new officers luck and gave them certificates. She said, it's a real pleasure to be here, celebrating the achievements of our new PCSOs and congratulations on achieving this milestone. Policing is about service and people, put in the public first by offering a local, personalised and friendly approach to all those in the community and working together to prevent crime and harm. Your ongoing development will include further training and learning and there won't be a day when you don't have an opportunity to make a difference to someone else's life whether it's providing reassurance to some of the most vulnerable members of our society or restoring order in the communities we serve. Highly visible policing is a key part of our ethos and we are keen to see more PCSOs and officers than ever before engaging face-to-face -face with the public we serve. Hertfordshire Constabulary provides further details on how to become a PCSO on its website and currently the police force is offering full and part-time roles with a starting salary of 
£26,958 for individuals working maximum hours. More new build dwellings were completed in Hertfordshire this spring, recent figures show. Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities figures show about 1,080 new dwellings were built in Hertfordshire in the three months to June, an increase from the 1,040 completed in the same period of 2022. Of these, 850 were built by private developers, while the remainder were social homes financed by housing associations. The increase has been reflected across the country with seasonally adjusted figures showing 67,600 new dwellings were started in the second quarter of the year, which was a 33% increase compared to the same quarter of the previous year. Local figures have not been seasonally adjusted and have been rounded to the nearest 10. However, the increase has been attributed to the new building standards introduced which prompted housing builders to bring forward the start of works to avoid the cost of complying with the new regulations. During the Labour Party conference, party leader Sir Keir Starmer pledged to build new towns across the country and 1.5 million new homes during the five years of the next parliament to stop the housing becoming a luxury for the few. Luke Murphy from the Institute for Public Policy Research said, we now have millions of people renting privately, often in poor quality conditions or with little security, but still paying sky-high rents. Yet the government doesn't have the policies in place to meet its own housing targets. Call for TfL stations to be in Zone 6. Hertfordshire County Council is to call for all Transport for London underground and overground stations in the county to be reclassified as Zone 6. TfL divides the Greater London area into zones, with Zone 1 being the most central, that are then used to calculate the cost of travel. Currently, Elstree and Boreham Wood Station is the only TfL station in Hertfordshire that is sited within Zone 6. All other TfL stations are outside Zone 6, and that can mean higher fares for passengers travelling into London. But now Hertfordshire County Council is calling for all TfL stations in the county to be rezoned and placed into Zone 6. That would, say councillors, make journeys towards London from Hertfordshire stations cheaper, and, they say, it would more accurately reflect their distance from central London. On Tuesday, October the 17th, a meeting of the County Council agreed to formally call for the change. In making the case, Liberal Democrat Councillor Stephen Giles Medhurst pointed to the relative distance of TfL stations in Hertfordshire and Essex, and he highlighted stations in Epping Forest in Essex, which he says is further from central London than some Hertfordshire stations, but still included in Zone 6. It is something that certainly those of us in the Watford area and Three Rivers have long campaigned for, he said. The inequity whereby those in Zone 6 in the Epping area are fine, those on this side of the county, i.e. southwest, are penalised. 
even though actually, logistically and distance-wise, the Epping areas that are on the underground lines are much further distance out from central London. Speaking after the meeting, he said it was currently unreasonable and unfair and that there were a substantial number of people who were affected by this. The Liberal Democrat amendment that the Council would call for the change was accepted as part of a motion opposing plans to withdraw, withdraw day travel cards and that motion was backed unanimously by the meeting of the County Council. To continue, in response, a Transport for London TFL spokesperson has told, since told the local democracy reporting service that there are no plans to make any changes. TFL has no plans to make changes to the zoning of any stations in the TFL network and it would be a matter for the relevant train operating company and the Demo Department for Transport should they wish to change the zoning of any stations, he said. The Mayor is committed to keeping TfL fares as affordable as possible, while still ensuring TfL can continue to run clean, green and safe services, and meet the terms of TfL's funding agreement with the Government. County councillors also backed a motion calling on London Mayor Sadiq Khan to drop proposals to withdraw day travel cards and they slammed the plans as an unfair, unacceptable and expensive levy on Hertfordshire residents. In response, Transport for London said the plans to withdraw the travel cards have been drawn up due to the requirements of the government's funding settlements. They said that after considering the proposal, the Mayor has reluctantly instructed TfL to give the required six months notice. But they say that although the notice period is underway, they continue to look for alternative options and they stress that the decision remains reversible. This is the first stage in the process and there are no changes to tickets at this time, said a spokesperson for TfL. This is an operational decision that has been taken now to ensure that TfL meets the requirements of its funding agreement but TfL continues to look for alternative options. Overview of this year's exam results. County councillors have been given an overview of this year's examination performance in Hertfordshire. Provisional results for the exams taken by primary and secondary children in Hertfordshire last summer were presented to a meeting of the County Council. They show that 74.6% of pupils achieved grade 4 above in both maths and English at GCSE. And the average entry per A-level was reported to be 35.4, equivalent to a grade B. However, it was stressed to councillors that the results were provisional, with data unvalidated, not yet published and subject to minor amendments. According to the report, Results are not as high as in 2020 and 2021 when formal examinations were cancelled as a result of the pandemic. It was reported to councillors that it had been Ofqual's off intention to adjust grade boundaries in stages with 2023 grades reflecting a return to the pre-pandemic situation. The, the report also acknowledged that the Department for Education was advising that direct comparisons to 2019 
are not appropriate due to the impact of COVID. At the meeting, the results were highlighted by leader of the County Council, Conservative Councillor Richard Roberts. Hertfordshire education standards appear to be recovering well after the pandemic, he said. Congratulations to all those who completed GCSEs and A-levels this year and to our 14 care leavers off to university. Well done. The earlier results are also improving as they have been a focus of concern for a while. The report also highlighted the provisional results of tests taken at primary schools. It suggested 79.4% of Year 1 children passed the phonetics screening check compared to 75.9% in 2022. Provisional results show 56.5% of children reached the required standards in reading, writing and maths at Key Stage 1 compared to 53.8% in 2022. At the end of Key Stage 2, the provisional results suggest 60.8% of children reached the expected standard in reading, writing and maths compared to 60.2 in 2022. In the early years, the good level of development indicator was 67.7% compared to 64.7% in 2022. Executive Member for Education, Libraries and Lifelong Learning, Councillor Caroline Clapper, said um, she's delighted with the positive results. I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of the schools and their wonderful teaching staff who have put so much work into this outcome. The biggest congratulations, though, must go to our Hertfordshire children who should be immensely proud of themselves. Hertfordshire Director of Public Health, Jim McManus, has left the County Council to take up a post in Wales. Professor McManus, who has served as President of the Association of Directors of Public Health, had been with the County Council for 12 years, but he now has moved on to become the National Director of Public Health and Wellbeing at Public Health Wales. Highlighting the move at a meeting of the County Council on Tuesday, October the 17th, Chairman Councillor Terry Doris recognised his contribution to the county. Jim has been with the County Council for 12 years, he said, and his public health expertise was well respected both across Hertfordshire and nationally and recognised by his selection to the role of President of the Association of Directors of Public Health in 2021. We wish Jim all the best in his new role. Taking over as the Council's Interim Director of Public Health is Sarah Perman, who is a consultant in Public Health and Fellow of the Faculty of Public Health. She has previously held the positions of Deputy Director of Public Health and more recently as Director of Health Integration at the County Council. And, said Councillor Doris, we welcome Sarah to her new role. What does the Director of Public Health do? They are responsible for determining the overall vision and objectives for public health in a local area or in a defined area of public health, such as health protection. They are accountable for delivering public health objectives 
and reporting annually on the outcomes and future work. Berkhamsted victim among people tricked by fake job application scammers in Hertfordshire. A person in Berkhamsted was among the recent victims caught out by fake job opportunity posts on social media. Hertfordshire Constabulary has confirmed 15 people were scammed by fraudsters advertising opportunities on Facebook. Overall, the victims lost £79,000, with one Waltham Cross resident losing £37,400. Residents from Watford, Hatfield, Letchworth and Henlow were also exploited. Criminals target job seekers by posting fake job opportunities on social media sites or in some cases messaging them directly via WhatsApp. Once the victim interacts with the fraudster, they are asked to make a payment to take the job application forward. To continue, fraudsters may also ask for bank account details to set up salary payments to gain access to the victim's bank account. Senior Beacon Fraud Hub Manager Elaine Crate said, if you receive an exciting job opportunity sent directly to you via social media, you should proceed with caution, especially if you haven't been actively looking for a job. It's unusual for employment agencies to ask any prospective candidates to pay fees, so if this happens to you, make sure you thoroughly research the agency or employer. Police in Hertfordshire advise residents to visit Action Fraud's website for details on how to avoid being scammed. Obituaries and family announcements. Audrey Chamberlain died peacefully on 26th of September. Her funeral will be held at Chilton Crematorium, Camden Chapel on the 30th of October at 2pm. No flowers please but donations have required to the Rotary Club of London Charity Fund. Inquiries to Malcolm Jones and Metcalf on 01442-864-548. Michael Crutchfield, sadly passed away on 4th of October 2023, aged 78 years. Mike will be deeply missed by his family and friends. The funeral service will take place at Beerton Crematorium on Monday the 6th of November at 2pm, followed by the celebration of his life at the barn, Holcott, all inquiries to go to R. Metcalf Funeral Directors, um, 18A High Street Tring, on 01442 828394. Meg McCourt, born Raoul Pindi, 7th of February 1927, died peacefully, Hemel Hempstead, the 10th of October 2023. Much loved daughter, wife, mother, grandmother, great grandmother, and friend. Funeral to be held at Hemel Hempstead Crematorium, Bedmond Road, Bunkers Park, Hemel Hempstead. HP three eight LL on February the third of November at fourteen thirty. 
flowers welcomed or donations to the British Red Cross, inquiries to cooperative funeral care. May they rest in peace. We have received an email this week for an upcoming event. The newly formed Watford Goalball Club are hosting a female-only goalball session next weekend, Sunday the 5th of November, 1.30 until 4pm at Watford Central Leisure Centre, Peace Prospect, Watford, WD 17 3HA. This is in partnership with our This Girl Can project. Anyone of any ability or goalball experience and sight level is welcome to the session to play or to volunteer. We would love to see as many women and girls there as possible. The session is free to attend, so it is a great excuse to come and try goalball if you haven't done already. Please note that we have some goalball equipment for people to use for the day to support new players to play. We would greatly appreciate any support in spreading awareness of the session by spreading the word within your networks and communities ahead of next weekend. We are eager to have as many women and girls in attendance as possible. So we can continue to plan the session further, we ask anyone who is attending to complete our Watford This Girl Can session registration form. You may notice the note on the form that by completing the form, this is confirming the attendance for the session. Any queries can be addressed to Alex Cockerham by email watfordgoldball at gmail.com. A day in the life of our Hertfordshire Winter Services Manager. During the winter season, our winter manager, Ross Bevan, will often check the forecast for the following day before he goes to bed. After hitting the snooze button for the third time and before his morning walk, he will check the morning forecast, which we receive at 5am, to get a feel for what kind of weather we are facing for the day. If the weather is severe, he may need to make an early call to Ringway to give them a heads up on what our gritting decision might be. Ringway would certainly have also checked the forecast themselves and this conversation will be us formulating a plan for the day. The 11 o'clock alarm will remind Ross to check the latest forecast and make the daily gritting decision. Once the decision is made, this is called through to our integrated traffic control centre so that they can share the information with our four depots and the gritter drivers. He will click the necessary buttons to formally make the decision and ensure the relevant comms goes out via our social media accounts. To continue, on days that include severe weather, typically snow, we may also put together winter updates to our senior management team and our 78 county councillors. This helps to provide an overview of what the winter service is facing what we're doing and what we will be doing over the coming days. It helps to put minds at rest and also provides information which can be cascaded to other members of staff or the public so that they better understand what the service is doing. There's always inquiries or questions around gritting routes, salt bins, winter self-help, 
vehicles or weather stations. Some of these can be resolved quickly, but others might need to be considered in the longer term. And therefore it is really an ongoing delivery of the service now and preparation for the future. The winter service is heavily scrutinised when the weather turns cold, particularly during snow events. And therefore, whilst Ross has no desire to be in the spotlight, it's rewarding to feel that you are delivering a part of the service that is crucial to the public's lives. The public highway is used by the vast majority of people every day, and therefore as a service we have to keep it moving and keeping people as safe as possible during severe weather. Clearly, when the weather turns very cold or snowy for prolonged periods, the service comes under immense scrutiny and therefore being in charge of the winter service comes with significant pressure for Ross. Fortunately, we have an experienced and highly skilled contractor in Ringway to help deliver the service. We also have a well-established team of duty officers, comms experts and assistance from Ross's winter team to ensure that we can demonstrate we are delivering a good service when that scrutiny arrives. Continuing, winter key facts. We have 70 gritters. We, cu we cover just over 1,500 miles or 2,500 kilometres for every gritting run of our primary routes. We currently have approximately 1,200 salt bins, which includes another 60 added to the infantry for this coming season. Last year we did 80 gritting runs, which was about 25% higher than the average number of runs, and we spread more salt than we've ever spread due to the cold snaps in December and January. And now to what's on, the theatre. Casting the runes, Old Town Hall, Hemel Hempstead, October the 27th. Expert on the so-called supernatural, Edward Dunning is a scholar and a sceptic, but when he crosses paths with the mysterious Mr Carswell, Dunning's life becomes a waking nightmare. Visit oldtown-hall.co.uk to book. The Drifters Girl, Milton Keynes Theatre, October the 24th to the 28th. Discover the remarkable story of the Drifters and the truth about the woman who made them. From the highs of hit records to the lows of legal battles and personal tragedy, manager Faye Treadwell refused to give up on the group she loved. Nominated for Best Musical at the 2022 Olivia Awards, this smash hits show has a soundtrack packed full of Drifters hits including Saturday Night at the Movies, Save the Last Dance for Me and Stand By Me. Visit atgtickets.com forward slash Milton Keynes to book or for more information. Music Oi Santana, the Eric Morecambe Centre, Harpenden, October the 28th. Billed as more, than a, more of a party than a concert, this is a feast of Latin music, musicianship and hit songs recreating the music of Santana. Expect all the musical hits, including the Grammy award-winning Smooth, plus Maria Maria and many more. Visit the-emc.com 
www.ghostsandghosts.co.uk to book. And for the family, family theatre, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Old Town Hall, Hemel Hempstead, October 27th. Drawing on peculiar episodes from Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, theatre-goers are invited into a world of wondrous fantasy. Visit oldtownhall.co.uk to book. Halloween, The Howl, Mead Open Farm, selected dates until October the 31st. The frightfully good Scream Park returns with a lineup of entertainment including a new attraction. The Full Moon Manor is billed as a Scare Factor 9 maze where guests witness the chilling transformation of a once great hotel. There's also the Howl Valley High Maze with eerie students and teachers along with The Shed where visitors need to beware lurking dangers. Topper's Twister, with the haunting remnants of Mr Topper's abandoned circus, the nightmarish realm of red, and the touring sensation, the Circus of Horrors. The event is not suitable for anyone under the age of 12, and admission will not be permitted. Visit thehowl.co.uk for details. Films at the cinema. All popular films are provided to cinemas with an audio description track. Please mention your requirements at the time of booking. Films at the cinema this week include Five Nights at Freddy's. A troubled security guard begins working at Freddy Fassbear's Pizza. While spending his first night on the job, he realises the night shift at Freddy's won't be so easy to make it through. FOE Academy Award nominees Saoirse Ronan and Paul Meskell star in FOE, a haunting exploration of marriage and identity set in an uncertain world. Hen and Junior farm a secluded piece of land that has been in Junior's family for generations, but their quiet life is thrown into turmoil when an uninvited stranger, Aaron Pierre, shows up at their door with a startling proposal, based on best-selling author Ian Reid's novels. Killers of the Flower Moon. At the turn of the 20th century, oil brought a fortune to the Osage nation, who became some of the richest people in the world overnight. The wealth of these Native Americans immediately attracted white interlopers, who manipulated, extorted and stole as much Osage money as they could before resorting to murder. Based on a true story and told through the improbable romance of Ernest Burkhart, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Molly Kyle, Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon is an epic Western crime saga where real love crosses paths with, un with unspeakable betrayal. Also starring Robert De Niro and Jesse Plemons, Killers of the Flower Moon is based on David Grant's best-selling book. Police Officers Charity Challenge Officers from Hertfordshire Constabulary took on the UK's three highest peaks 
to raise money for a baby loss charity. Led by Detective Sergeant Laura Bassett, the team of 11 climbed Scotland's Ben Nevis, Scarfell Pike in England and Snowdon in Wales in difficult weather conditions. Laura said, It was really hard work and someone told us it was the worst rain Scotland had seen in 36 years. By the end, our legs felt like dead weights. It took a few days before we all started to feel normal again, but we felt a great sense of achievement and we are grateful to everyone that has donated. The challenge, which took place shortly before October's Baby Loss Awareness Week, raised more than £5,500 for baby loss charity SANDS. The charity funds research to reduce the number of babies dying during and post-pregnancy. It also supports families affected by baby loss. Laura added, I wanted to raise money for SANDS because they helped me through the worst time of my life. Last year, the detective sergeant founded the Constabulary's Child and Baby Loss Support Network, which has since been expanded into Bedfordshire and Cambridgeshire. She explained, My aim was to provide peer support to staff and officers, both women and men, so that they feel less alone. Line managers are now reaching out to us and asking for our advice on how best they can support their staff following a loss. We help them to feel comfortable to have that conversation instead of either avoiding it or being worried about saying the wrong thing. It's really important to acknowledge a loss even if you just say, I'm really sorry to hear what happened. Talk to Aid Paper Mill. A best-selling author is providing a special talk centred around raising funds for Frogmore Paper Mill. Glenda Young is fundraising to assist the mill, which is still dealing with the after-effects of the devastating fire that destroyed the, destroyed the famous building. Glenda has extensively researched the venue in the past. One of her novels is called The Paper Mill Girl. Her talk at the Hertfordshire venue will focus on why she wrote a paper mill based story and how it was researched. The Apsley Paper Trail archive was one of her sources of information and Glenda used this and is directly referencing it in the book. Taking place on November 10th, Glenda will talk about her historic sagas and her female heroines. Tickets can be purchased via frogmore-paper-mill.arttickets, one word, .org.uk. That's frogmore-paper-mill.arttickets, all one word, .org.uk. She is also bringing copies of The Paper Mill Girl, which can be signed on request. Frogmore Paper Mill Visitor Centre was destroyed in a major fire in January 2022. The remaining structure had to be demolished. Currently, staff at the visitor site are unable to offer guided tours or museum, museum visits. It is hoped that a new visitor centre can be constructed in the near future. Two teenage boys admitted to starting the fire, which required 
12 firefighting crews to put out. They received arson convictions for triggering the blaze that forced staff and volunteers to work round the clock to save artefacts that were nearly destroyed. Speaking in March after the boys were convicted, Deborah Newsham from the Decorum Local Crime Unit said, I hope that any young person who is considering playing with fire sees this case and thinks twice. This incident demonstrates the consequences of reckless behaviour and although I know the boys involved never meant to cause such devastation, they had no thought for what might happen when they started the fire and how quickly the flames would spread. The fire, which was battled by dozens of firefighters, destroyed precious artwork and historic documents from this pa famous paper mill, as well as causing millions of pounds worth of damage. Thankfully, no one was injured in the fire. A sweeping supernatural romance. A Tring author's supernatural tale of romance is landing right in time for Halloween. Brenda Hurley's tale of ghostly love was inspired by a visit to Kingston Lacey, a National Trust house near Wimborne Minster in Dorset. Ghostly Light, set to be published on October the 28th, is the latest in a trilogy featuring a ghost named Lewis who is trapped in, in the bed he was murdered in. Continuing on from Ghostly Return, we find Lewis's journey might have been laid to rest had Doris not brought his magnificent carved bed with its secret. Now reality and the netherworld exist side by, by side in the Eden Room at the Royal Oak. We are introduced to Debs, an old colleague who visits North Yorkshire and falls in love with its people and the countryside. And when she joins the family, she is met with strange coincidences that bring jeopardy, romance, angels and demons to the inn. Landscape artist Brenda Hurley was inspired to, to write after seeing the work of a master carver. She now paints with words to tell her stories. Ghostly Embrace, published in 2019, was the first to be conceived following Lewis, a gentle ghost, on his journey f followed by Ghostly Return, published in 2021. Ghostly Light is the final story in the series. Brenda said, this all started when I visited the National Trust House of Kingston Lacey and saw some wonderful carved shutters at the long windows, a carved panel of wildlife and a carved bed. I stood looking at the remarkable work and wondered who had been such a wonderful talent. I thought of a man now long dead leaving this treasure behind him and wondered what life he might have had. Lewis was born. The book will be available from October 28th for £9.99. An Italian deli in Tring has been awarded a five-star hygiene rating from the Food Standards Agency. Nonna's Supper Club in Tring's High Street was handed the top rating, meaning very good, following an assessment last week. The family-run deli hosts a monthly pop-up dining experience serving up Italian cuisine inspired by their nonna or grandmother. A second Tring venue has also received a new rating of four stars. 
Da Vinci, a pizzeria in Frogmore Street, received the 4 out of 5 rating, meaning good. The venue boasts an extensive menu of Italian cuisine. The latest ratings mean that of Decorum's 235 restaurants, cafes and canteens with ratings, 170, or 72%, have ratings of 5 and none have zero ratings. The FSA scheme gives businesses a rating from 5 to 0 which is displayed at the premises and online so you can make a more informed choice about where to buy and eat food. The scheme is law in Wales and Northern Ireland, but display of the rating sticker is voluntary in England. The rating system is as follows. 5. Hygiene standards are very good. 4. Hygiene standards are good. 3. Hygiene standards are generally satisfactory. 2. Some improvement is necessary. 1. Major improvement is necessary. Zero, urgent improvement is required. The FSA says its fundamental mission is food you can trust. For further details visit the FSA website. MP marks Hospice Care Week. To mark Hospice Care Week last week, Hemel Hempstead MP Sir Mike Penning shadowed staff at a local charity shop to understand more about the role they play in funding hospice care in the area. Sir Mike's visit to the Rennie Grove Peace Charity Shop in Maylands Road in Hemel Hempstead saw him getting to know the staff and volunteers, learning more about the operations of working in a charity shop and even browsing the shelves to see what items he could find. The visit was part of a national initiative by Hospice UK to mark its Hospice Care Week. MPs across the country are visiting their local hospice both during and after the week. This year Hospice Care Week's We Are Hospice Care theme sheds light on the people who make up a hospice, celebrating the breadth, diversity and excellence of the hospice workforce. From clinical staff to bereavement counsellors, kitchen staff to shop volunteers, the people who make up a hospice are what makes hospice care so special. More than 40,000 people work in charitable hospices across the UK. Hospices support more than 300,000 people every year and work across the system to reduce pressure on the NHS and train and support uh, health and care workers. But right now is a challenging time for hospices and the need for hospice care is growing. The cost of living crisis has seen their costs soar, making fundraising for the majority of their income increasingly challenging. At the same time, recruiting, retaining and paying their dedicated staff a fair wage has never been tougher. Nicola Flood Head of Buying and Operations at Rennie Grove Peace Hospice Care said, It was a pleasure to welcome Sir Mike to the shop and show him how everything works. The work that staff and volunteers do in our 32 high street shops around Hertfordshire and Buckinghamshire is invaluable to the running of the charity. Sir Mike said, Rennie Grove Peace Hospice is a fantastic local charity 
and I'm proud to be a patron of the organisation. I've been a supporter of the hospice movement for many years after seeing firsthand how it has supported my own relatives. Pets need homes. Monsieur is a handsome gentleman of a cat and he's approximately 10 years old. He is now looking for his forever home due to changes in his family circumstances. He's a friendly, lovable boy who enjoys a cuddle and likes to lay on laps. Keep you company. He is a true friend and companion. On first meeting, he can be shy, but once he realises you are a friend, he's quite happy to come and meet you. He loves strokes and is quite happy to be brushed. He does like the occasional play as well. He's neutered, chipped. His flea, worm and vaccination treatments are up to date. He's looking for a quieter home environment, older children, would like to be the only pet and away from Maine or through roads, where someone may be around for him at least part of the day, if not the whole day. To contact Cats Protection Decorum, visit cats.org.uk forward slash decorum or call 0345 371-1851 New electric vehicle charging points are up and running in Tring. The new rapid electric vehicle charging points, EVCP, are operational in the Forge car park with installation work scheduled to be completed soon in High Street car park in Hemel Hempstead. A range of EVCPs from fast to ultra rapid are on the way at other sites in Decorum. Information will be released by the council on when these will be available as the designs are finalised and works planned. Forecasts suggest that by 2030 almost one in three, 30% of cars will be electric with the need for more than 3,000 more charge points across the county. And once all EVCPs are in place, Decorum will become the borough or district with the highest number in Hertfordshire and will move into the top 20% nationally. The Borough Council was awarded over £415,300 by the Office for Zero Emission Vehicles with the support of Energy Saving Trust for additional charging points for those with plugging electric vehicles. Councillor Adrian England, portfolio holder for climate change, said, I'm delighted to see these first three Osprey EV charging points go operational, which has happened earlier than expected. Tring now leads this wave of modern infrastructure being installed right across Decorum, helping local residents, shoppers and other visitors to be confident in leaving behind vehicles which require outdated fossil fuels. The move is part of the borough's council commitment to making decorum net zero by 2050 at the latest. The public car park sites in the programme include in Hemel Hempstead, Wood Lane End Car Park, Alexandra Road Car Park, Queensway Car Park, Park Road, Bellgate Neighbourhood Centre, the Queen's Square Neighbourhood Centre, Dumont's Hill Car Park, Leverstock Green Village Shops, Water Gardens, Cowper Road, The Gables Car Park, Henry Wells Square, Bennett's End Neighbourhood Centre and High Street Car Park. 
in Berkhamsted, St John's Well Lane car park, in Tring, Frogmore Street East car park and Forge car park, in Kings Langley, Langley Hill car park and in Mark Yate, Hicks Road car park. Fireworks PTSD warning for dog owners. The surprising warning comes after Rachel Bean has, been an, has seen an increasing number of traumatised dogs who display behavioural issues not dissimilar to post-traumatic stress disorder. Rachel believes that this could be down to exposure to environments that have traumatised the dog and warned that even if your dog appears calm, it does not mean that they are having fun. Rachel said, Many dog owners prepare for fireworks season and work to desensitise their dog, but for some owners the dog does not appear to be scared at all, so they carry on with their regular routine. For some, this even includes taking their pets along to firework displays. However, just because your dog appears calm, it does not mean that they are not afraid. Dogs are people pleasers and they might be suppressing their fear to be part of their pack. My advice, she said, would be to avoid fireworks displays altogether with any dog, no matter how calm they appear, as it could lead to behavioural issues in the future. Local decorum businesses are encouraged to join entrepreneurs, alternative thinkers and economic development specialists in a free workshop exploring how businesses can grow a loyal geographic customer base when traditional shopfront footfall is declining and so much commerce and work is becoming virtual. The panel includes Ed Mayo, CEO of Pilot Light and formerly CEO of New Economics Forum, Consumer Council and Secretary-General of Cooperatives UK. Adrian Hawkins, OBE, Chair of Hertfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership. Louise Towler, CEO of Indigo Tree. James Doe, Strategic Director Place at Decorum Borough Council. Simon Alton, CEO of Community Action Decorum. The event will be held on Friday the 3rd of November from 8.30am until 10.30am at Berkhamsted Town Hall. Registration is mandatory. Please email cindy at communityactiondecorum.org.uk to book your place. And now for some sport. Football. Tudors force late draw. Struggling Dover led at half-time after Nick Dembele scored and they appeared on course for victory after Tudor's midfielder Tyrell Newton was sent off minutes later. The visitors equalised through skipper George Williams in the second half only for Zidane Sutherland to put Dover back ahead. But an Alfie Matthews penalty in the 95th minute earned a point for Hemel. Hemel were back in action on Tuesday night with the visit of Braintree Town but played after the Gazette went to press. On Saturday they'll be at home once more as Dartford pay a visit. Burko concede nine in record loss. 
It was a day to forget for Berkhampstead, however, as they fell to their heaviest ever defeat, 9-0 at Colville Town, to move into the relegation zone on goal difference. The home side raced into a three-goal lead after just 10 minutes. Luke Shaw opened the scoring when a corner was not cleared, and then Tim Berridge went down the middle of the defence to double the lead before soon adding his second. Midway through the half, Shaw got his second, then a 25-yard drive from Terrell Pennant made it 5-0. Deep in first-half stoppage time, with the last kick of the half, Berridge grabbed his hat-trick. Five minutes into the second half, Tom McGlinchey got the seventh goal before setting up a tap-in for Pennant's second of the game, Alex Dean completing the route in stoppage time. Burko hosted Stratford Town on Tuesday and then welcomed Kettering on Saturday. Basketball, Storm's run is brought to an end. After an intense affair which took the game down to the wire, a new look Storm were unable to stop the energetic hosts who won 92-87. It was a new look Storm team to last season's quadruple winning side with many new faces continuing to gel with each other. However, Loughborough were no strangers to Storm in their previous matchup, taking the NBL Division I champions to overtime in which they lost, although deserving to win the game in full regulation time. Storm needed to start fast and gain control of the matchup as quick as possible and stop the threat from the, the riders. The game could have gone either way in the fourth, but riders would ultimately have the edge by the end. It was a tough loss to take for Hemelstorm, who need to regroup and work even harder for their long trip up north to face Team Newcastle University on Saturday the 14th. Storm's top scorer, Hakeem Silva, 24 points. Seth Suave, 18. Braden Inga, and Tez Allen, 15 points. We have come to the end of this week's news. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are sunrise 07.42, sunset 17.48, giving 10 hours and five minutes of daylight. We currently have a waxing gibbous moon. Most importantly, don't forget that the clocks change this weekend. At 2am on Sunday the 29th of October, the clocks go back one hour, so you get an extra one hour's sleep. If you would like to give us any feedback, or you have a news story or know of an event taking place soon that you think would be suitable for our listeners, please get in touch by email to dtneditors at dtnhemel.org.uk or leave a message on our telephone 927123. For those with access to the internet, our news is uploaded to our website soon after the recording each week on Thursday evening. This can be found by visiting dtnhemel.org.uk. For those who are listening to this week's news via a memory stick, after the music there is the amenities section that gives details of various group and contact details of organisations. 
Until next time, it's goodbye from all of tonight's team.